HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Barryville is a hamlet in rural America, part of the upper Delaware River Valley in the western Catskills, but it could be anywhere. Barryville is the climax of civilization. Yeah, the Trump flags are flying, even as gay bikers are rolling through town. This is a hot take on rural America. And whether you're new to rural living, if you've ever been bullied or beaten up in the country, or live in the city and just dream of getting away, this show is for you. Everything's better in Barryville. Will I ever tire of your dulcet tones, your sweet, sweet singing voice, Johnny? Now, had you been singing at halftime yesterday at the (laughs) Super Bowl, maybe I would have tuned in. Well, listen, I I tuned into the Rihanna Bowl, uh, and I guess there was some football in between. But, uh, you know, (laughs) the game was uh, was intense. You know, like I had we, we tuned in to catch the Super Bowl, but we watched about 15 minutes you know, prior to it ending, because the game was running long, you know, it was estimated that Rihanna would go on at 7.45. She went on a little after 8. And, um, you know, I know these Philly fans are nuts, because they climb flagpoles if they win. They 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 smash things if they lose. Like, it, <laughs> no, you know, no different than fans in the world, really. Yeah, yeah but, but Philly Philly's an exceptional group of people. And, uh, you know, they, they lost yesterday at the end of the day. But um, I don't know. I, 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 thought it was, I thought it was great. I thought the show was great. I mean, I thought it was wonderful playing Is Rihanna Pregnant or Not Pregnant game, because she was clearly pregnant. And uh, I liked that she didn't have a barrage of special guests. It was literally like, you want to see me perform? You want to hire me to perform? I'm going to do it. And she was fabulous. Well, was you know great. how I feel about some of these things. The the people they hire to do the halftimes at the Super Bowl last year's hip hop uh, a show. Yeah, I mean, given all the criticism that the NFL has taken and given about race relations, to have people up there like Dr. Dre who once uh, sang a song called "Fuck the Police," but uh, when they see there's some money to be made out of it, you know, they embrace it. And I feel this has been the same way since they, you know, invited Madonna. And uh, I know it's 
it's great. They're moving away from, uh, you know, white dudes, you know, you know, you know, singing, singing, you know, out of the backs of their pickup trucks and all this. But I, I, and I, I get it. Diversity is good. But I wish they had a uniform policy towards diversity, inclusiveness and openness across the whole thing. Well, I mean, you have to understand a couple things are going on. There's actually a really good story in um, in the New York Times today about how, you know, Michael Jackson or is actually in the New York Post. Michael Jackson sort of changed the game of 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 the halftime shows and really made it this like bombastic worldwide viewed thing because people really didn't care about American football before then. And then they, you know, in the past, I think, five years or six years, hired Jay-Z to be the creative director of the NFL. And you also have to look at the profile of most of the players that are in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I would say the majority of the players happen to be African-American. So I, I actually love what's going on right now. And, 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 you know, for me, I think that people that are Gen X are now at the, at the control board of most things. Cause I'm watching things that are relevant and rate and translate with me. And for, for me last year's Super Bowl was exactly my youth. Like it was exactly my middle school to high school. And I can tell somebody my age is at the control booth saying, this is our nostalgia. By the way, it's very Gen X of you to see something and see yourself in it. That is kind of, no, that's mine. No, 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 no. That's millennial. That's millennial. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a cultural observation by saying, I know somebody at my age is at the control switch because you don't get Mary J. Blige and Dr. Dre and Eminem in in a millennial presentation nor a boomer generation presentation. So that's what you get as a Gen Xer. I, I do love Eminem, but boy, is he angry. Hey, listen, today, uh, I want to make He looks strange, too. He dyes his facial hair, which is a very strange uh, phenomenon. Speaking of uh, hip-hop, I think somehow this is going to segue nicely into how do you know and I bring this up because today our special guest is Dave Holland. He's a uh, famed cannabis attorney, uh, like me, a, a uh, alumnus of High Times Magazine, fighting the good fight. But uh, as a public service announcement, John, I just wanted to talk about this for a second. How do you know if your teenager or radio co-host has been smoking marijuana? And the I have a list here. Yes, <laughs> I have a list here. I have a list here that I, I, I he has out, been. I got out of a, from a health <laughs> class in about 1976. He's been on it. So one is if you find Visine or a, a bottle of in the laundry, that's a pretty good sign your kid's getting stoned. Also, rolling papers, pipes, a bong, roach clips, etc. If you find them in the laundry, he's probably Let me check stoned. your pockets, Mike. Yeah. Uh, burning incense, hide smells, uh, a sudden uh, prolifera of mouthwash and air fresheners. Okay, here's one. Small burns on the thumb and forefinger. Nothing else makes this burn. Of course, I don't think people even smoke joints That's anymore. not true. If you're a waiter or bartender and you have to light a candle and you pick up a hot votive, you get the same burn. Oh, okay. So I'm not stoned. I'm moonlighting at the church. Correct. Okay. Uh, sudden Grateful Dead Bob Marley or Led Zeppelin posters on the wall. I had a Pink Floyd. I had a Pink Floyd poster, the one that came in Dark Side of the Moon, which had two posters and two stickers. So I was definitely up. That's sort of like you a, could have profiled uh, me. That's like a flag to your parents, like, "Hey, come for me. Yeah, Go seriously. through my stuff, okay, please." Talking in secret if code. Okay, four twenty means pot smoking for all you parents out there who aren't hip. Sudden change in friends. A sudden need for more money without much to show for it. A strong reluctance to participate in family activities. And, and again, guilty. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, a sudden willingness to take the dog out for a walk late at night should, should show a willingness to go out and smoke oh. a joint. <laughs> I, you know, this definitely is born out of some 
terrible health class scenario because <laughs> none of these things I feel like are relevant. Uh, okay, here's one. Laughing out of context. <laughs> I do that all day long. A all sure day long. sign. I crack myself uh, up drugs. walking around. Also uh, on this list is an interest in the occult and my very favorite, wearing silver jewelry. A sure sign that you are now into drugs. And uh, Well, it, you know, we need to stop and for several people in, <laughs> in the here, Berryville community the, the because I see of, a lot of silver jewelry. The town of Highland. All right. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. And here's how to uh, react to this overwhelming evidence. And uh, our advice here from Barrowville Radio is don't overreact. Well, <laughs> I'm very into reacting. Uh, I'm very excited, though, to, to bring Dave Holland on. I feel like we're really lucky. So here he comes, right? Uh, all right. And we've also got uh, lo- uh, locals, the Electric Chords, going to take us on out with some groovy music at the end of the show. So I think it's yet another blockbuster episode of Everything's Better in Paris. Can you dig it? All right. We'll be back with Dave and much more right after this. Wow, can you dig it? The moment we've been waiting for. A true American hero. Oh, my God. <laughs> and feel the room fill up fight, with smoke. <laughs> fighting the good fight. A former uh, High Times alumnus, which makes us kind of connected in some weird existential <laughs> nightmarish way. <laughs> Let me properly introduce our next guest. So we have the former attorney for High Times, the head of the New York State chapter of Normal, Esquire, Dave Holland. All right. Hello, Esquire. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be with all of you today. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, we can't wait. We, so, is, we, is it 420 yet? Want to get stoned? We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> you can always 420 somewhere. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that the, the High Times lawyers are a pretty sober lot, mostly, <laughs> as, as it goes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, my, my last dalliance was when I was about 18 years old. So I was going to say, I've never really? I've never seen you up in smoke. Never, <laughs> never. I used to do a lot of events, a lot of, um, you know, we would do uh, uh, festivals and things like that. And I would be actually, the great thing about going to a stoner event is if you wear a suit, you just say, look for the guy in the suit because there's nobody else doing it. <laughs> Everybody used to walk around like, who's the FBI agent in the room? And I, and I think that's what kind of screwed me in the end at high times because I would wear a suit occasionally. And, and you were know, also partaking? Uh, not, in the, not in the morning. These guys would come in, you know, the, and this is the morning zoo crew that hit the bong at 10, you know, and then four, there was just, you know, white knuckling until 4.20. But invariably, if I got stoned at 4.20, which they said was sort of the end of the day, the lawyer who was not stoned, would call 421 or, or an advertiser or somebody important, and there I'd be stoned. I mean, it's time-consuming being stoned. It's a problem. <laughs> Did you guys have a proper break room where people would just go smoke at 420? No, that was also another problem uh, because smoke <laughs> drifted upstairs, and a pregnant woman in the building once complained, and um, our lawyer, Michael Kennedy, said, you guys got to knock this off. You know, a pregnant lady smelling pot, I mean, she's going to have a baby looks like a Frisbee, and she's going to end up owning high times. <laughs> well, you, you know, know? <laughs> but why would the, I, if I were, like, If I were in charge of the real estate behind the high times, I would really choose my neighbors carefully. <laughs> it was like, come on, guys. Yeah, it was a rental. Well, you know, you had to try the different <laughs> techniques to write about how you try to get away with smoking in public spaces, you know. Oh, these guys could get stoned on a public bus oh, and get away with it. But, you know, like we're talking about the, um, the laundry sheet technique, which, which is a complete failure because everybody would use it, right. you know, to put the, you know, the fabric software thing on the end of a rolling tube. You know, I do not tube, know what you speak of. And thinking that would do it, but all it is is now the house smells like Pink Floyd came over, you know, with Willie Nelson to do right. their laundry. <laughs> all right, I got I to back this thing okay. up, all right? Let's get serious, okay, God yeah, damn yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, have a, I have a serious legal question for you. Dave, what do you think pot will represent in the town of Highland? Do you think it's going to be good for the town of Highland, or do you think there's going to be a learning curve? Well, it's a little bit of both. It's always been here. So the, to, to think that somehow this is going to be the introduction of this new you know, lifestyle or this new... 
People right. do drugs in town? Warn your children. Oh, my you know. God. <laughs> Sullivan County, we're number one. <laughs> 97 might be part of the pathway from, uh, that's more the gateway, going to the upstate from the downstate. But, all you know, cannabis has been everywhere. It's, it's not anything new. Nobody new is really reaching out and trying it. You're not going to have these epidemic things. So the, the benefit that Highland gets out of it at least is making tax revenue off of it, if nothing else. But people are going to drive on your roads after having picked up, after having consumed. Nothing's going to change in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I remember texting you live, you know, during the town board presentation. They had like a, you know, somebody from Albany consulting on, you know, this sort of reefer madness scare tactics in town. And, uh, you know, first they were conflating, you know, the percentage of tax revenue that would be, that would, you know, come to pass. And then they started equating, you know, legalization and, you know, weed sites or dispensaries with on-site consumption sites. And then they started conflating the urban problems that were starting to develop in a town like Denver, you know, when they, when they legalized weed and saying, you know, the homeless population is going to surge in Berryville. And it's like, well, how the hell are they going to get here? Right. Like, like, and I don't think that I've never seen anybody go bust because they just can't stay off the bong, you know? It, it, yeah, I've, I've not seen the epidemic problems at other things like anywhere from all the legal drugs, Oxycontin, coffee, cigarettes, sugar, all fentanyl. those things, fentanyl. All those uh, things are not Schedule One. There's but. well, not Schedule One, which is, by the way, unbelievable that the federal government has not rescheduled marijuana yet. We should talk about that. By the way, that was always part of the high time strategy when I Absolutely. was there of how to legalize marijuana. Step one was to get it off Schedule One, which is. Uh, you know, drugs, the heroin, LSD, strong with it had a high uh, potential for abuse, and marijuana doesn't really belong, obviously, on the same list with with heroin. Um, that being said, though, I've seen a downside to people who are chronic stoners, and you have too. It's it's you know the people at high times, for instance, who got stoned every day. I thought they were going to die in their chairs. They weren't growing creatively. They weren't growing emotionally. They weren't growing professionally. And you know, I wrote my book. I have fun everywhere I go. In part about that experience, the first line of the book is from a high times editorial meeting, and me saying the next person who suggests putting Bob Marley in the cover of this magazine is going to be looking for a new job because that was Groundhog Day over there. And I really think that's because of chronic. Pot smoking. That being said, well, but, I'm very pro pot. I think it does add to the creative process. Used judiciously, and I pick my spots, and it's become really good for me. But if you're going to use High Times as the barometer, so you and I came <laughs> at two totally di- no, 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 because my experience was very different. Despite what people did to test the products, to be able to write about them, everything else, and that was part of the professional work day. They never missed a deadline. They were highly motivated. I never saw, we never had an issue where we were late getting depressed. So, I mean, while you may have seen people acting in different capacity, I was actually really impressed. That's amazing because people thought hitting a deadline was a novelty. And uh, the editor at the time, Steve Hager, was like rewarding people with little doobies if they made out their copying on time. And as the publisher, I was kind of like, you know, a traffic cop, unfortunately. I was put in right. that role uh, as, part, as part of the larger job. Because uh, you miss a deadline and you don't get to print on time, you lose a lot of money. You just miss oh, yeah. one day late. And it was chronic, chronic lateness when I was there. But I came in, so you were there in the 80s. I was there in 2004 is when I started. So there really is almost a 20-year well, gap. I, I started writing for them in the 80s. I did a column called Shoot the Tube, which was about uh, watching politics on, on television. <laughs> and uh, I did some music stuff. And then I got headhunted to be the editor-in-chief at the end of the 90s. So uh, I missed you by about three years. Okay. Um, and it was and it was going great. I mean, we, I'd really turned it around. That was my mandate to. I mean, the, ma- the magazine, the sales were dropping. It was kind of becoming very redundant. It wasn't being taken seriously at the time. It was kind of a stoner joke. Hey, leave it out by the lava lamp and the bong kind of thing. Right. And we did we did turn it around. But it was like herding cats over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shifting gears a little bit, Dave. Can you tell us what normal is and what your role with normal is in New York State? Yeah. So normal and high times really uh, have an incredible history together. So normal is a national organization for reform of marijuana laws. It's N O R M L. 
And I head up New York State's chapter of it for the last, um, well, probably since about 2009. Um, so its mission has been always originally to try to push for reform, try to push for rescheduling, things like that. So what's interesting um, is, you know, what do you do when all you wished for comes true, right? They've legalized it in 41 states in one capacity or another, and we're fighting the national battle to try to get it um, taken off of the Controlled Substances Act as a Schedule One drug, which means that you're not allowed to, there's no medical value, no research that can be done, no easy way to put in protocols for research. Um, that That's still part of the mission. That's something I'm very much a part of right now in fighting different challenges at the U.S. Supreme Court and other levels trying to to deschedule it. Um, but High Times evolved at the same time as Normal did. And so here was the magazine that became the mouthpiece for a public, you know, uh, nonprofit advocacy group. And so there, we really can't talk about one without the other in many respects because we amplified at High Times what Normal was doing as a mission. Now, do you see like the federal government as we, you know, move closer to federal legalization, do you see new laws and new rules and new tax codes that are actually going to end up probably harming the the marijuana industry for recreational use more than it's helping? I, I'm just sort of wondering because, the, you know, the government never lets a free pass go by, <laughs> you know, in, in any new industry, you know, whether it be taxable or, or what have you, you know, like just looking to, you know, a lot of the illegal bodega sort of dispensaries that are popping up all over Manhattan, you know, like how is that going to come to pass? So, I mean, it's a great question that has two levels to it, on the federal level and on the state level. So on the federal level, um, <clears throat> their Congress, which passed a law making it completely illegal, has passed its own um, spending appropriation measures to actually prevent the federal law enforcement from using federal taxpayer monies to be able to go after, at least in the medical ma marijuana field, any operators who are compliant with the state law where they are, right? In reality, they're not going after any of the states, even those that are recreational, like New York is becoming, where you have adult use. On the state level, <clears throat> um, right now, New York, as we're starting to see the rollout, we've seen the two first official licensed uh, retail shops open, one called Housing Works, one called Smacked, uh, Smacked Village, which is a client of mine. Um, they are coming on. New York State is very much promoting it. So there's tax revenue, there's all this, there's a whole industry. This is the fifth largest legal crop right now in America. So the federal government is really disinclined to want to intervene at this point when 41 states have legalized it medically or both for adult use. So what it really means is that um, if you were to get national legalization, all the states do it, or at least they, it's up to the states where they want to have it or not, you're going to find that you're going to be a lot like the corn industry. You know, there is the Iowa of corn. There are, they're just able to grow because of their climate and their, their topography much better than other places. So is what, that California? It would be California, Oregon. You know, all these states that have been developing for 20 years with grow operations have been what supplied the market in the Northeast and, and around the country for the last you know, several decades uh, legally, um, to, well, not legally, but they have been grown legally where they are, but they've been illegally transported out. Uh, but the, the idea is this, you know, if you're going into cultivation, you're going to, you know, who's going to be the Philip Morris? Who's going to be the big aggregate mid-level grower as compared to the craft grower? That's, that's what you'll start to see that trending over the course of the next couple of years. And this has always been like a concern for me uh, because I don't want to see marijuana, you know, once a sign of protest and rebellion is now being run by Monsanto and Philip Morris and right. Big Ag. And I do like part of the law in New York State that the, uh, it's supposed to empower local farmers to grow marijuana. And I think it's important. Look, John, you know, um, I, or I suppose you know, I, <laughs> you might know. I'm all-knowing, so yes, I know. That I know. Um, the marijuana 
marijuana that's being sold in a lot of these illegal pot shops. The New York Post says there are 1,400 now illegal pot shops, and there are two, obviously, that are licensed. And... You know, which is why Manhattan now smells like a Neil Young concert, you know? Right. Um, and I, I find a lot of problems in all of this. I don't think that the city should smell like, you know, a giant pot party. I think um, there needs to be a little moderation, a little bit of control. I mean, I'm very pro-pot. I'm just kind of anti-slacker and stoner. <laughs> and, and also, the city's smelling like a fucking fish concert. Um, Would you take away the the right to be able to smoke openly, which is what the law is right now? Well, there's a, there's a crazy thing, and that's another point, that you're allowed, I understand, to smoke pot anywhere where you're able to smoke tobacco, yep. which means outside of the law. Lounge, for example, and then go back inside and put a couple shots of tequila on top of it. And I think that is is not a good idea. Is a bartender? I have to tell you, you know, we have a little outpost in the East Village, and I've watched, you know, young guys sit at their table outside, roll a blunt, smoke a blunt. They're perfectly lovely before they smoke their blunt, have a couple drinks, and then by the end of the night, I'm peeling them off the table. And it's a new level of like it's it's like not knowing somebody's you know, pre-existing conditions. It's like not knowing how they're going to react to weed. You know, alcohol is, you know, by and large, pretty predictable. You know, like that's what's sort of tried and true about alcohol is you kind of know where it's going and you know when it starts to get aggressive. But with weed, you never really know how people are going to interact with that plus booze. So I, I, you know, I do think there's some credence to, I know. to what, consider what, just I know. Inside. I want you to know. I know. I've been, I've been, I've been experimenting with this, this careful balance for many years. But the problem is in New York City. So no what's, one's, what's the formula? But, but no one's but, driving well, home, on. though. No one, that's, that's my, you know, that's in a small well, town. People are going to get in their car after this. I mean, if I go outside and smoke a joint, walk around the block and come back and have a few drinks... I'm getting in a cab or I'm walking home. I'm not getting behind the wheel of a car. It's a lot different. But but you are taking the supposition to start with the very first question you had. Well, what does legalization mean? What makes you think they weren't going outside and smoking anyhow of course, before they came yeah. in? So it's not then a question of legalization and finding your tolerance level. It's going to be unique to each person. They're just, you're now observing them doing because they don't have to hide in the shadows or get paper towel rolls with dryer <laughs> sheets, you know. Or yeah. when I was in boarding school, you had to get hit towels where you rolled up a towel super tight and but, you just blew into it and you had all these tar marks on it. <laughs> but it is more conducive to that because I have walked out of the bar and people said, hey, Mike, you, you want to smoke some pot? And people are out in the parking lot having a pot party. So it, it is a little bit different. It's created a, a, a different environment. Listen, I, I think New York City kind of screwed up the rollout. Um, you know, I, I'm all, I was all for it. I was part of the experiment. I had a medical marijuana card. I'm obviously very for legalization. I am, however, against the idea of a recreational dispensary in Highland because I don't think I don't think we need it. I don't think I think there's a big green rush. Everyone wants to get in, and it's going to be chic. I don't think the tax dollars are there for the town. Someone's making money. The guy who owns the shop might make some money. And I do like the idea that people who own shops and license are people who've been adversely affected by marijuana laws. I like that. I like that the farmers are local. But I don't think it's going to really add value to the town and I think um, listen I honestly have not had trouble copping weed in my entire life like maybe there were two weeks in 1978 I was going to a Jethro Tull concert but someone came up with something in the end you know it's it marijuana's everywhere uh, I'm for it I think it should be elegant I think it should be quality it should be organic it should be as healthy as this sort of thing could possibly be you know it's it's, it's really interesting though like I, I the one part of the law that I obviously love is like the sort of the reform, the the Rockefeller law angle, you know, I think is the one good thing that New York State did really effectively. But yeah, there was no grace period. There was no like sort of six years in waiting like in California where people were slowly getting medical marijuana cards and people got used to sort of driving and their dosage and, you know, sort of the regulation process. Um, you know, my folks are in Illinois and it's really interesting kind of how they deal with it in suburban and, you know, 
sort of more rural areas. They put the dispensaries way out, you know, at the at the exit, you know, where you might find like a travel oasis or, you know, a Walmart or something like that. It's more of an industrial park sort of approach. So yeah, it's interesting to see how it's going to play out in places where people are primarily driving. Yeah, no, I think that those are real issues. There's no getting around that. Um, those issues, again, they existed whether you had legalized it or not. They're still happening. What I think, <clears throat> to Mike's point, whether, whether it's good for the town of Highland or not, if it, you have to balance capitalism versus quality of life versus you know those that are more libertarian and the freedoms to do things. And those are forever, as a bar owner, you know what those issues are. As, uh, you know, as an editor of a magazine in this world of censorship we live in. It's it's some of those calculated risks you take as either you know a, a municipality or the person who who's engaged in. Well, I'm all for libertarianism and enlightened capitalism, uh, but yeah, I mean maybe let Narrowsburg be Narrowsburg, let Bethel be Bethel. Seems on, on brand for them. You want to take a quick break? We'll yeah, I was going to say we got to take a break. Okay, I, I got to go gonna, take a smoke break. I got to go get you know totally blazed. I'm going to roll a masterpiece here. Yeah, yeah. This joint I'm going to roll. Just you're going to call, you're gonna have to call this joint is so big. You're going to have to call the Army Corps of Engineers and the Town of Highland Planning Board to get a variance, the zoning variance for this DB. I'm about to roll. Okay, we'll be Just back. Just remember, time spent wasted is not wasted time. <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. Everything's better in Berryville. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We're still talking about weed. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, broadcasting live from Shakedown Street. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, bro. Tribute Sammy Smith. See, we were like dead. We were like uh, Grateful Dead fans. Or, you, you were real dead, Ed. You were really in there. But of like a different era. You were like the 90s. I don't even, I don't even imagine the Grateful Dead in the 90s. I cannot take back my youth and, uh, you know, throw it back to the 80s when I was well, a child. You don't want me on a lot at 10 years old. Like, <laughs> like, give me my mid, you know, oh, 90s dead experience you I thought I saw them like the flagging era you know like at the, at the beginning of the 80s it seemed the ball kind of rolled off the table a little you know bit what I, but it, the truth is there is nothing like a Grateful Dead concert that is for sure no doubt true story or, or the Dead Company you know I, 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 I stand by John Mayer's holding it down and doing a good job he's become the new Bobby Bobby's moved into the Jerry role you know, right. it's all you know sort what I, of shifting and you know what I call that late stage capitalism <laughs> it's it's a way to see how it's a way to tell the suckers chance, that this is never going to end that this can go on to forever disparage Bobby's reign <laughs> <laughs> mother. All right. So I have a question for you. So right before the pandemic, uh, Rosal and I got in a car. 
Or sorry, we got on a plane. We flew to. See, he doesn't even know the difference between a car and a plane. <laughs> well, you this know, is a hell of a okay, break. That's, that's number thirteen <laughs> on my list of how you know if your you know, radio wife is on drugs. That's okay. number thirteen, right here, right before laughing out of All context. Right. Go scratch. <laughs> so, so we get on a plane. We fly to Chicago. We uh, hang out with some friends downtown. Then we take the train an hour to my parents in the Burbs. We pick up their car. We drive five hours to what looks exactly like Berryville in upstate Wisconsin, which was really <laughs> funny. And so when we arrived, my mom is from a very large Irish family. She has six brothers and sisters. So they showed up uh, completely stone in their own quadrants. So my uncle Dan is trying to pass my cousin Tasha and I weed. My aunt Betty is you know racing around the corner eating brownies. Everybody I discover, all these boomers are now experiencing weed, and they, you know they they have different chronic illnesses and you know aches and pains that they sort of justify it with. But everybody's sort of running on this separate tip. You know my my family. A true members, family potluck dinner. I mean it was really bizarre. You know Rosal and I were like the most sober people there. All the young Younger people were the sober people and were like, what the hell's going on? We went on a boat ride. Nobody could remember where their cars were. Oh, my God. You can't remember where your car is. Then you shouldn't be allowed to drive it. I I agree. I could not agree more. (laughs) That should be the litmus test. Can't find it. Can't drive it. I know it seems obvious, but there is a downside to marijuana. It's not as benign as as many people have you believe. Let me get to what I wanted to tell you about my family. So what I really appreciated was the folks that got their weed from regulated facilities. We knew what we were getting. They knew what they were in for. They knew what they were getting. But, you know, I'm a fan of sort of these regulated companies. You know, there's like a lot of great brands that you see in Illinois and uh, Colorado and Massachusetts and California because they're good. They're tried and true. They've worked out the dosage and it it affects people in a very similar manner. You know, I, I think gone are the days where people should be experimenting where they're just cooking up a batch of weed butter and, you know, losing their marbles in our cross eyed for two days because somebody slipped them a cookie or a brownie that's out of control. So, so what do you say about that? Like, what do you think is sort of the better effect for society? You know, it's, it's, uh, this is a common concern of a lot of people because it's uh, all titration and getting used to it and knowing what you know your limits are or are not. And in unregulated product, you have no idea what the purity is, what the milligrams are. So people have to either go slow and get you know a tolerance or on the gummies, particularly where people run into trouble. And the, and the biggest growing population of gummy consumers are actually baby boomers and beyond. They are doing it for health reasons. They're doing it for pain reasons, you know, uh, a variety. But what they're not Because they've destroyed to, everything else? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, because now they can get stoned at work with impunity. Right. I but, mean, but, well, to those that are still working. But the, the interesting thing is, you know, the onset time of a gummy, as compared to vaping it or smoking it, is hours of difference. So what everybody famously does after about 45 minutes, they're like, oh, this is not working. I'll another take one. another one. Yeah, right. that used to happen with the bottle acid, too. And then, <laughs> right. Know, or the, the brownie, I, or you're like, next I'm thing I knew, s- the walls were melting. Yeah, or, right. yeah, or yeah. a brownie. Damn. Like, I'm getting snacky. I'm going to finish this brownie. And then you're like stoned off your gourd, right? And it's really, with the regulated packaging, it says, you know, t- wait at least an hour before taking another. You really got to heed that advice. Well, start low, go slow. Yeah, right. Abs- absolutely. But and I like smoking weed because I find that as a way you can gauge, you know, your, your intake. I'm very used to it. But I want to say that I always felt the marijuana industry, underground, illegal marijuana deals, kind of self-regulated very, very mm-hmm. well for a long time. And even like, you know, when I was a kid, I kind of, I felt like I knew what I was getting. If someone said this was Acapulco Gold, I knew what to expect. I never got anything that was dusted or had chemicals on it. I never had anything that 
didn't affect me. That affected me negatively or somehow like, you know, no not, bad not what I was getting and not a marijuana. Um, and, you know, the, the weed deliver services of, in New York City all through uh, the, the, the 90s. The guy told me it was chronic diesel or sour diesel or, or, or this or that. I, I think they were really growing legit product. And Oh, there's definitely like the weed houses up here. I mean, we have our, but, our own equivalent in the, in but, the, in the you know, town the, these un- the second I moved to town. Right, these unregistered pot shops, you know, the, the one in Port Jervis, I'm telling you, it's like, a, it's like Pete Moss spray painted green. There's no regulation there and that's not enlightened capitalism. But, you know, the marijuana thing came out of a bunch of hippies. Let's, you know, and I think that's, you know, to the advantage of the, the whole thing. I mean, right. So these grow operations are going to be there, and there are those that are tried and true that have been around forever, and people get to know who they are. That's why people, like any other brand loyalty, people go to the same delivery service. They go right. to the same underground operator, the same dealer they've dealt with. That's the regulatory environment that has existed underground, and I, that doesn't really change very much. It's novelty people going out that will go into stores that don't have good product or really highly questionable stuff and are buying it and taking it, you know, and slamming amounts of doses like, hey, I want to try this. You know, it, there's definitely the uh, – I can't say it enough with gummies. The onset time, the ramp just to get high is two to three hours. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. So that can last six, seven hours. And, uh, you know, you're just – if you keep eating in the meantime, you're delaying that out to 24, 25 hours with you, a high. You know, locally, uh, we, we – you know, I'm sorry to rag on these guys again, but I went to the Smile in Port Jervis just to sort of see what the rollout was like, you mm-hmm. know, to see how it would apply to our town. And it was a really horrible experience. I mean, I went over and I said, hey, do you guys sell uh, gummies? And he's like, uh, yeah, I think there's some over there. Do you guys sell indica gummies? I don't know. I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't know. And it, it was like so curt but and so strange. He, he's a legal CBD retailer. Okay. Got it. Noted. Okay. So, you know, that's, that's also a little bit different. So how they, what their packaging is, what they're selling, you know, they may not have any THC in them. So questions you may be asking may be hard for them to give direct answers to. Got it. I, I can't speak to it all, but, you know, I do know that that's a licensed CBD retailer. Got it. But all the people who are not licensed who are selling THC and, and marijuana, and uh, there's no commitment to the community. There's no relationship there. They're going to come and go. They're, they're, they're fly-by-night operations. It might as well be – I mean, can you imagine if there were 1,400 – people selling illegal gin, you know, what the government would have to say about that, you know? I mean, but if you look at the zoning, you know, look at looking to our own town again, you know, if you look at the zoning and the maps that they laid out, clearly there is some plan for who is going to be the first person. Clearly there's some plan that the town is accommodating. I mean, that map is as gerrymandered as gerrymandered gets. And it's a it's, little surprising. It's, it's, it's not only surprising, it's suspect. And it's like, okay, so you, you, here you have this like really controversial development in FIMFO, you know, where the town residents are weighing in. And, and, and for some reason, that's the safe zone sort of up there. And it's like, okay, we haven't bogged these local residents down enough with the threat of a roller coaster or a water park. <laughs> now we're going to say we're going to put the weed facility there to really, really take it home and, and, and ruin your weekend. Well, there's, a, I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of interest. There's not only any one person that is sort of the shoe in here. There are quite a few people that uh, are looking at different potentials for, for dispensaries here. What is interesting about that zoning map, and I've only had a chance to see it in a picture somebody sent me, but they've they've put it in an area that doesn't really make a lot of logical sense, at least the expansion of the zone, but they've also put it right next to a church. They've included the church within it, which has to be at least 200 feet out and things like that. So there's a lot of 
zoning stuff that may not have been accounted for, and we'll have to go citing out where, where exactly somebody could be or couldn't be on the 97 corridor and going all the way over to Eldred and so forth. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our zoning has never been the most clear or prized, uh, <laughs> prized regulation <laughs> in, in our town, so let's, let's get that well, straight. Well, yeah, there's no shortage of uh, boutique to pot shops, or there won't be in a very short period of time. So I, I don't think anyone's going to make a lot of money here at Highland. I don't know that there's, there's enough traffic to support it. I don't know that we want people coming from other towns or counties or from across the river just to get stoned here. Uh, I don't know if it supports the character of the town. You've heard me say this. I know, you know, it's okay. Bethel, it's on brand. And I really hope Haven't that farmers... have seen our hippie mural in the cul-de-sac? Uh, um, <laughs> I, you know, it doesn't really make me want to go get stoned. It makes me want to go have a glass of orange juice. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. That's the desired effect. Or, or right. some double-barreled sunshine. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, I know... I know the experience in a good pot shop. If you go to a boutique, I've been to them in Toronto. That was one of the best. And that's right on Main Street where I walked into Toronto. You get a butt tender. Oh my God, it's right next to like the Apple store. And right. the experience is like is like that. They I, I get handed an iPad and this you know, beautiful young girl in you know, a nurse's outfit comes over and walks me through and we this talk about everything. This is a fantasy that's never existed. This is, oh my God, it was like being civilized everything I dreamed of. And it was nice. But I've also been to some places in Denver, especially when the first rollout happened. One place was super hippie chic. It was gorgeous. Everything was like bamboo and green. And another place was like basically a converted laundromat in a strip mall, right. you know, pushing drugs, basically. The vibe was Sullivan very different. County but, style. Exactly. But, you know, you pointed it out when you were talking about bathtub gin. You know, what if they had 1,400 people? Well, the first thing that happened with, you know, prohibition being repealed is you really don't, after a few years, find bathtub gin makers. So capitalism will drive its way to more professional places, more like the experiences you're talking about in Toronto that are going to be catering to people rather than just, you know, we're taking whatever back alley abandoned shop and turning it into an overnight money producer. That's that's not going to happen anymore. So it will be time to see that. But in time, you will find that this is a very legitimate, low-key business. It's not going to impact your communities in the way I think people are fearful after some of the novelty wears off. And like you said, traffic here, 97 is great in, in, the, in the, you know, how many months are we talking about where you have really un, unbelievable amounts of uh, it's five months. Yeah, it's a five-month five season. Up here, yeah. And, you know, the draw from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is going to go legal on its own within next year anyhow. So you're not really, you know, going to have people in this mass migration coming to Berryville to, to buy their, their cannabis. Or it's Eldred, as it were. Right. You know, like Eldred is sort of the most appealing, which is, is, is amazing. I heard one town official describe Berryville as the, the butt end of town anyway. <laughs> so I, I think that the perception might be off in general, but... Well, uh, you know, then there's also the whole hypocrisy thing, which kind of drives drives me nuts, which isn't really, you know, germane to, like, whether it should be here or not. But I love it. Like, you know, everybody wanted to put me in jail for smoking pot when I was in high school. Right. And the second it became legal, my mother, who was one of those people, by the way, God bless her soul, <laughs> you know... Um, the second it became legal, she asked my brother, the, the stockbroker, like, oh, what's a marijuana stock I can invest in? I'm like, like, no, no, this is not happening. Now you want to be a pot dealer? That's, no, this is not, this is not happening. And, you know, I mean, all these, like, these vices and the traditional sins, and you, I was, we were talking um, before about uh, online gambling, you know, they used to come to the office and take away the football ticket. Now there's a billion-dollar industry, and people are going to get hurt about it, you know? I mean, gambling's very dangerous, and uh, er everything else that used to be forbidden, you know, and we'll talk about Madonna at the Super Bowl too because the NFL went and took a hard turn too from Anita Bryant after they wanted to put you know and, and, and hip hoppers all these things they were sort of against oh but wait there's money to be made and suddenly the lines got soft and I think the marijuana thing the states they want to put you in jail and now they want to like take the money but 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 um, 
Yes, but no, because cannabis has been 50 years of watching what the collateral and negative consequences have been of over-policing. I don't think that money alone is it as much as it's a lost battle. The war on drugs is a war on people. It's racist. Well, the war on cannabis, at least. It's classist. Let's not put the war on crystal meth, the war on all (laughs) these other things in the same boat with the war on drugs of cannabis, because people haven't been experienced what people went through in that, and that was a decimation of communities for no reason. David, you're you're on the forefront of sort of like, you know, all of these weed laws you're Seeing it, you know, down the road, you're nominated for the for the national uh, normal board, which is really exciting. Congratulations! Oh, thank you. Um, but what do you see is sort of the foremost issue moving forward for New York State? It will be two things. It will be the trying to do so. Half of the licenses are all reserved for social equity. So people that have come from the overcriminalized communities, the places which lost their infrastructure, those are where some of the targeted folks that the state wants to help get off the ground to reinvigorate those communities from which they came. Um, The biggest concern you've raised a few times, driving. Driving seems to be the one thing I, in every community meeting I go to, and it's a real problem. It's no doubt. Um, I don't, you have to know how to read some of these different uh, reports that are out there coming from what's called uh, uh, NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse and things like that. They're very skewed in their statistics. The problem where they're saying, you know, ever since marijuana legalization, you know, the fatality rates up 500 percent. That's not it. You can test somebody and you can tell you if they've consumed cannabis within 30 days, not where they're immediately impaired. So there's a lot of problems with that. So finally, drug recognition experts have now been called for people that are looking for real time indicators of somebody's impaired when they're operating. That's a big difference for New York. That was you always heard it, a- You heard it first uh, here. Uh, listen, stay home if you're feeling squirrely. Just yeah. stay home. <laughs> enjoy yeah. movies. Enjoy your mate. And, uh, you know, get stoned yeah, That stone. was always a problem with the marijuana testing, uh, is that if you came to work on Monday and they tested you, it was a random drug test, and drug testing was a huge industry. I, I believe it still is. You know, insurance companies insist on it. It's, it's a scam. Because if you tested positive for marijuana on Monday, they're telling you, hey, I got stoned on Saturday. You could be coming to work, you know, stone cold sober, and that's it's an it's invasion of privacy. It's unfair. And you know what the number one ads were for in high times. Right. Prosthetic penises that squirted clean urine so you could pass a drug right. test. Oh, all right. <laughs> right? Let's wrap the listener. But you know, but and, the New York, other ways to pass a drug test. But the yep. New York State Department of Labor has just come out with guidance that says basically don't test anybody for cannabis because it doesn't. It's not unless you can articulate and it's observable that they're impaired. It doesn't mean anything anyhow because of that thirty day problem. Mm-hmm. So that's a real even revolution. Like class, even like professional class drivers, like CDL drivers. And S- that's federally regulated, but for collective bargaining agreements, I was just litigating this. You know, it doesn't mean anything in and of itself that somebody tests positive, particularly if they're a medical patient. Then you really should be immune to. But what are you going to say for like a zero tolerance policy for, say, airline pilots? But airline pilots are federally regulated. I can only speak to what the state is doing right now. That's the New York State Department of Labor, not the federal. NBA players. Well, there should be. Well, look, I just had to unfortunately go through some surgery. You know, there are things like informed consent. I'd like to know that at least a surgeon says to me, I haven't consumed anything within the last 24 hours because you're dealing with some, you know, very significant issues. Those are things that will evolve over time. Um, but I think as of right now, again, all these things were occurring anyhow. It's not because it's legalized you're going to start seeing more surgeons coming up with THC in their system. They found ways to get around it before, and you're not going to get this whole new crop of you know, people like I'm uh, you know, outside of trying it once or twice for novelty. You're not getting a whole new consumer base. I, yes and no is the short of it, as you, as you said, because I agree. I don't think surgeons and airline pilots are in any danger of them starting, coming to work stoned, uh, but there are a lot of people at PECs that are on gummy bears that weren't previously. 
Well, I don't know about that, but again, they could they could be CBD products. I, I Let's give them the benefit from a of the mile doubt. Away. And CBD will save that for another conversation because I because I think it's snake oil. So oh oh yeah, we're going to talk about this too. Wow. All right. Well, listen. Thank you, squirrels, for tuning in to the uh, to the Weed Hour with uh, Dave Holland. I really want to thank you, Dave, for coming by. Yeah. Congratulations on your normal thing. I've been a normal supporter like long before I worked for High Times. I mean, 100. percent I'm glad you're still fighting the good fight. Well, thank you all. It's been great to be here. Yeah, and it, it, it's wonderful having. You, I mean, you heard it from the horse's mouth. This guy knows weed almost as much as Mike consumes weed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The weird thing is, I actually aspire to smoke more pot. I almost never smoke pot because it's too time-consuming. And you know, part of the you know the the Edison rules of the game are you show up for the gig, you know, uh, knowing the songs, dressed appropriately, gear that works, and not high or stoned on drugs. You get high afterwards, and I run out of time. You know, it's a, it's a problem. I'd love to get stoned and walk around the woods, but you know, but the phone's going to ring, and the lawyer's going to be on it, or my editor's going to call. So it doesn't happen as much as as you think it is. But if you guys want to stick around, okay. I'm rolling that monument. It's happening right oh, now. <laughs> we'll be back. Wow. You know, I may have come around a little bit on this pot in uh, Barrowville, uh, opting into a retail store. I get the idea that it's not going to be, you know, downtown in the, you know, our, our little uh, commercial areas so much as it's going to be kind of in the hinterlands where there's not going to be in anybody well, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Where does the trash flow upstream or downstream? Um, no, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, like they put out those maps of like where you could do these things, and some of them, some of it sort of negates itself in that like they're not supposed to be near churches and they're not supposed to be in neighborhoods. But one of the properties is across from a church with another house that belongs to somebody else that's not part of the property is exactly in the zoning. I think it's an Eldred. So the, this map thing is very, very confusing. And I'm wondering how the state and our local municipality will play along. If you if you study the map, it has kind of nothing to do with what New York State has put out. You know, yeah, I'm still not convinced that we need a pot shop in Barryville or where it goes. Uh, but I also, I was talking to someone in Narrowsburg yesterday, says, well, we opted in because we don't want you making all the money. And I'm like, hey, I, I don't think there's going to be that much dough, not for the town. The guy who owns the shop is going to make some dough. The town, I don't think so much. And there's not that much traffic in Barrowville. Let's be honest. And I love a new word I learned this week, John. What's that? The old uh, black market pot dealers, they're now called legacy dealers. Wow. <laughs> Bug tenders, legacy dealers. All these things are happening. Let's. We should hit it with the news. All right. Are you ready? Is everybody ready? <laughs> is everybody ready? Okay, no laughing out of context. Is that a silver something pendant? I say, is that, is that not, that's not a feather roach clip in your ear, is it, John? All right, let's hear the news. Oh, Are you ready? my God. I, I think he's seeing himself <laughs> in my glasses. <laughs> I see your reflection in that Bob Marley poster. <laughs> All right, here's the news, everybody, with your host, John Pizzolatto. I'm John Pizzolatto, and this is the news to me. Ladies and gentlemen, plucked from the cover of the Sullivan County Democrat, winter's here. (laughs) (laughs) This is literally the cover of the paper. Uh, Winter's here, minus 20 degree wind chill expected on Saturday. And this is, you know, this is from a couple uh, issues ago, but I just could not. This week, winter is still here. (laughs) Winter is still here. And ladies and gentlemen, winter will still be here the week after next and the week after next. Right on time. Yeah. It's right on time. It's all happening. And you know, then, did, this, did this guy see a shadow? <laughs> the, the, do you know about oh, that? Well, yeah, the uh, Puxatani Phil. Uh, he sees a shadow. I don't know. He's pretty big. 
big groundhog. We talked about woodchucks last time, remember? I know, but it just seems to like be permeating our lives because I, I want you guys to know winter's here and it'll be here through the end of March because yeah. that's how the world March, works. March is the cruelest month, but there it is. You heard it there first in the summer. Sullivan County Democrat. Winter's here. It sounds like a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here. So, uh, pluck from the pages of another paper, the River Reporter. I, I have to tell you, every single issue of the River Reporter has extensive coverage of all the planning boards in town. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, they're they're talking about the the Tustin Planning Board and the Highland Planning Board. And you and I were both at the last Town of Highland Planning Board. Meeting. Oh yeah, that was a that was a real firecracker. It was a riot. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's really interesting what our town is choosing to do. And some other towns in in the county, they're privatizing code enforcement. So we have a big corporation sort of coming in and telling, you know, individual towns and individual people what to do and where to go. And and we're noticing a lot of this sort of like uh, approach to small town living being controlled by a larger entity. And, and hiring out, out of uh, town consultants on every single project. Yeah, people who don't live here, who really aren't invested here, aren't invested in the people, in our way of life, as we like to say. Sure. And, and, and it's also interesting because you think about the job market, right? And so we have this us versus them sort of mentality. And, you know, our area is known for tourism and for traveling and outsiders coming in. And so that's like the major industry that the Catskills has always been known for. So if we're begrudging that industry, then what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to look forward to in terms of jobs if they're all being outsourced to a larger corporation? That's right. Because there should be somebody more than qualified. I met a wonderful woman who's in code enforcement school who just moved to town with her family. And, you know, she... She doesn't even have the opportunity because we've hired this big corporation. And and at that planning board meeting we were at, you know, they had um, one of their one of their uh, spokespeople talking about this Airbnb policy, oh, which is is so troubling because you know you look at it and you're like, okay, so you know, we're, we really uh, give a lot of credence to, you know, being out there for each other, having neighborhood watch, you know, our constable program did that in a really big way. And that's been shot to hell. But then you look at like the new Airbnb policy where you have to go before a public hearing and say, Hey, everybody, I'm not going to be home uh, the majority of the time. Cause I rent out my property. So please come in and steal my copper pipes. <laughs> I, that, that, the, the code enforcer, the, the, the dirty Harry of the code enforcement business. I can sure it might be a lot of my high school gym teacher. It's like, there's no way I'm getting yeah, like, take another lap, Edison. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow. It was extraordinarily uh, un- unpleasant. And I'm not supposed to use the word Kafka-esque, uh, but there it is. Come, come up here before our board and we will decide what you can do with your home. Like you said, it's like you, suddenly you're a member of a homeowner association that they, you didn't you even didn't know sign you joined. Up for. You thought you moved to the country. No, no, no. We now get all your neighbors to weigh in. So if you didn't like your neighbor's dog barking and, and then he chooses to Airbnb out his house to try to go on vacation with his family or something, something, your neighbor could show up and say, you know what, your dog's an asshole, you're an asshole, and I don't want you to make any extra revenue, so you're done. And, And that literally is what they sort of rolled out. And it's a large corporation that rolled it out for our small town. Free Barryville, Barryville Libre. Yeah, yeah, what right? I'm saying is, you know, that's the beauty of it is, uh, you know, they used to say Mexico Libre. And people understand what didn't mean free Mexico in the sense that we need to be liberated. It meant it was a free country where we minded our own business. That's how this place works. We're looking the other way. And that's what the flag used to stand for. Don't tread on <laughs> me. Don't tread on me. But I'm talking about the American flag used to say home of the free, home of the brave. And I don't think that we get to make that decision for ourselves anymore. I think I'll tell you when to be brave. I, I, I'll 
don't tell you when to be home. <laughs> well, I do. I do feel that like uh, a lot of agency has been taken away from the people and giving to planning boards and with big decisions like a corporate resort coming to town, and they seem to be giving more credence to large moneyed projects than individuals who just want to rent their home for the weekend. Yeah, it's 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 kind of mind blowing. But it but you'll see if you all hit the local pages Not of your local mention, paper, you can read full coverage of it from cover to cover but, about every town's planning. But board. some things are going right. The Terramore project, which is shot down by the people out uh, near Saugerties, a large uh, glamping project. There uh, are other things in the works, and planning boards, I think, are starting to maybe turn the screws a little tighter because the people are getting involved and beginning to put political pressure well, on in the our, boards. Well, in our own town, you know, there is a proposed yeshiva going into what used to be a resort, and in n- neighboring Tustin, there's also a yeshiva that is being considered for a private residence, and I think the same problem was going on in Forestburg. So you're watching these things go on where people are trying to open up schools, we'll say loosely, um, in these locations where schools aren't zoned. So what does that also do to our community education? Well, like, I, does that, you know, I, I think the homestead is great and they have all kinds of fabulous programs and I think they're a wonderful complement to our school district. But what does it mean when we start to privatize schools and in a, in a really fast pace? Like, is that is that going to do good and do, you know... Make the community better and privatize our, our our river. And, and yeah, no, I else. think uh, you, know, you know, I think it's a slippery slope. I think you know, it's like getting rid of the post office. It's like then UPS is going to charge you, you know, nine dollars to mail a your rent check-in. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is a slippery slope. And I, I do just, you know, I didn't come here to live near a strip mall. I knew when I was 13 that tearing down trees to put up a parking lot was a bad idea. You know, I didn't have That's to That's a coloring book concept. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I just want to see, Rick, you know, the, I, you know, the, everybody's impressed by gee whiz numbers, which kind of, kind of was upsetting. But I think, everybody's, wants, imp- I think everybody's impressed by lawyers. <laughs> lawyers. You know, except, they, except what's the least or the most hated pos- uh, profession in America? Lawyer. Except for Dave Holland. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give it up for Dave Holland and his navigating the legalization of marijuana in New York City. And it was a hard-fought battle for him, too. You know, like well, it's uh, he's you, you the, know, But you know what's crazy, though? Huh? Uh, and, and Dave and I have spoken about this. So he's been a member of Normal on the Normal board for a long time. And as a as the former High Times editor and publisher, I, was, uh, I worked with them closely over the years as well. And we always thought the road to marijuana legalization was going to become by rescheduling it on the federal level, taking it off Schedule 1 as a drug of abuse, uh, you know, on the same schedule with LSD and heroin and all these things, which is still not happening. It's still there. And I wish uh, the federal government, Joe Biden, and the United States uh, um, Congress and, and, and our senators would get it off there because now that's why people are still working in cash, because the federal government, even as the states legalize it, what would happen is, you know why it's legal? Money. That's it. Of people course. saw they could make some money. Don't I, I, I go on? But also, you make a really good point there, because now... If you buy weed in Illinois, per se, and you're going to New York, there's a few flyover states where you could still be arrested. So then can I travel with this thing that's supposedly medicinal or helps me relax or recreational or whatever, whatever your usage is? You know, like uh, we're, we're coming, you know, when we talk about states' rights and, and all these things, I don't think that that is actually going to apply to the situation because it's going to make things very, very complicated. The feds are way, way behind it, but it never really happened on that level. And it wasn't really the social push that like, hey, the war on drugs, especially against marijuana is a war on people. A lot of kids are getting their lives ruined because they're getting pops smoking a joint and they can't get their driver's license but I or like someone loses their job. But what about they- the Rockefeller laws of New York? I think those are fabulous. You know, like we touched on them, but like, you know, prioritizing weed licenses 
for those for people who've been negatively disenfranchised group of people who went to jail for for offenses. I think is kind of a really progressive and cool thing. And I also think it's amazing that they're encouraging local farmers to grow marijuana. This is Sullivan County. Look around you; it's farmland everywhere. People should be growing organic, top grade weed in Bethel. It shouldn't be handed to us in McDonald's baggies from Philip Morris and you know and, and Dupont and Monsanto because that is <laughs> that is what's happening. You know, there's a place not too far from here, one of these illegal pot shops, and I'm telling you, it's peat moss spray painted green in a bag that looks very shiny and nice, but you open it up and it's garbage. And, you know, we talked about this with Dave. I think the legacy pot business <laughs> did a very good job of kind of policing itself because it was so direct to consumer based and based on repeat purchase that I, I felt safe when someone said, hey, okay, this is some Acapulco gold or, or yes, that's how old I am. But whatever it was, that's kind of what I was getting pretty damn close. And now you really don't have any idea. There are I think the last post, New York Post figure was 2,400 illegal pot shops open in New York City. Well, yeah, every bodega you go into, you're like, this doesn't feel like a normal bodega. Why is it, Why are there so many, like, Japanese uh, Kit Kats and Doritos in the window? <laughs> and then you go in and you're like, oh, this is just a front. And it's, like, literally on every corner. And, I, you know, I'm not in the city day-to-day walking around anymore. You know, it's, like, few and far between my visits. And, but <laughs> and it kind of blew my mind, you know, to, to, to see this out in the open. It's like, yeah, it's a teen dream, but yeah, is, it good for, is it good for the town? On one know. hand, it's Alice in Wonderland. I can't believe this is happening. Of course, yeah. we've both been to very high-end boutique pot shops. It's a very lovely experience. I've only but, been doing research. I've, you know. uh, okay, well, I continue to... <laughs> To research with you, but and again, the whole town doesn't have to smell like a Neil Young concert. There is a downside to all of this. Um, I think it's good that no one's going to go to jail for this. Um, wait, 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 are wait. we off the rails? Was that? <laughs> wait, <laughs> are we still in the news? <laughs> wait, wait, do you, do you hear that? What's that? Oh, 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 look up in the sky, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we have the beautiful <laughs> Tiffany Diamond. Hi, guys, it's Tiffany Diamond reporting live from the Berryville Radio Traffic Helicopter. I'm up here above Route 55, between Eldred and Berryville. There seems to be a pileup of cars. Oh, wait, it's just a bunch of people lined up to get spring water out of the spout that comes out of the side of the hill. To be honest, I don't think I know how safe that is. I know one guy who died after drinking spring water from the side of the highway. Oh, my God. Uh, Tiffany, uh, was he sick for very long? Nah, the car hit him and that was it. Anyway, everyone be careful out there crossing the highway, and I'm staying on the safe side, and I'll get my water from my well. Oh, wait, there's another pileup. Oh, it's just two guys shooting the breeze. Uh, Tiffany, Tiff. Sorry, I can't hear you. The helicopter's too loud. Over and out from Tiffany Diamond in the Berryville Radio Traffic Helicopter. Everything's better in Berryville. All right, all right, we are wow. back. Uh, so, uh, it's pretty smoky in here after that last, uh, segment, right? <laughs> well, it's about, about to get smoky, because you know what I'm holding, John? I'm holding the Acapulco Gold. You know, I've been very into this project. I of saw this. you showing your jar off for the boys, <laughs> actually. Because it's this, the heirloom marijuana project that I've been sort of chasing forever. So this cat in California since found 1984? some... 1984? <laughs> since, <laughs> since 1974, more likely. <laughs> oh, Growing Acapulco gold, like the real deal, grow it outside, heirloom seeds. I always thought it'd be like Jurassic Park, like someone uh, could like go through like one of my old Pink Floyd records or Deep Purple record, take out one of the seeds, you know, like like in Jurassic Park and clone it and then like grow the Panama Red that I enjoyed in the summer of 79. All right. So we're back with our <laughs> entertainment, not Mike's music on weed. Uh, we have in the studio today some very, very special guests. We have Greg, Nick and Simon from the Electric Chords. 
I've always been curious about the Acapulco Goat. Yeah. I've heard the legends and folklore and music, you know, from California and uh, yep. lots of mediocre music came powered yeah. by Acapulco. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite place to gig uh, in Sullivan County? We will not pick a favorite. Okay, so... Uh, well, okay, I'll pick a favorite. Yeah. I don't represent the band. I'm just a member of the band. These are my favorite places to play. I really like places, the Places, that's the key. Yeah, that's I really the like the Keshecton Pump House. Yeah, those guys are great. Those, this, that place is a great room. Great sure. room, great atmosphere. The audience is fantastic, you know. And then the other place we really like to play is called The Dale in Mountaindale. Shout of out course. to Sarah. Sarah Halla. Yeah, Sarah yeah. Halla. You know, yeah. she is an amazing host. She really fosters a vibe at her place where it's it's almost like there's no rules she just wants everyone to have a good time and yeah. so i really you know i gotta shout her out yeah we're big fans of it and their food is great too They're fantastic great pizza they carry our cider win 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 they're yeah. great people we also love playing at the, the creek bar across the street in mountaindale uh we're, we're big fans of that place they were they had us there pretty early on and that's high voltage yeah yeah, yeah. oh cool high voltage um but what we, about the Barryville Farmer's Market? Okay, how'd, how'd that go over? That is the gig of all gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the, the one. Hey, you know what yeah. I say, John? There are no small gigs. There are only small musicians. I've heard, I've heard that line, and it's a good one. Um, I don't know if I it, buy that. <laughs> what, was it, what was it like to play at Bethel Woods, though? I mean, was there like a certain like like folklore that like was uh, actualized that moment? You know, like what, did you feel the power of uh, Bethel Woods? It was definitely a great experience. Um, stage is beautiful. We're really happy uh, that they were they let, had us over there to play. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a uh, an essence there, like a, a an energy that was was cool to be a part of. I was I was thrilled to see you guys. I came in, you know, trying to relive some sort of <laughs> misguided Grateful Dead experience to go see Phil Esh. Yeah, John, you're walking a fine line, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and to see you guys like on a smaller stage when I was walking in, it was, it was like entirely awesome. I actually kind of enjoyed your set more than the Phil Esh set. Ah, yeah. <laughs> he's, always, here. he's always shots no. fired. Yeah. He's always <laughs> dogging on well, Phil I, and Bobby. No, like, I'm not a fan. <laughs> you know, I, it's like, get lost. I am a fan, <laughs> but they don't always make it easy to Grateful Dead. You know, okay. they don't always they're like the Mets. Yeah. You Moving, know? you know, you think everything's going in the right direction and then collapse. So this is a hard eye roll, uh, hard pass. On well, you know, has to say right now. Anyways, but, so I want to know, <laughs> I want to know how'd you guys get together? How'd you guys all find each other? Uh, I had some original tunes and I contacted Simon and said, "Hey, like I got, I got some tunes. If you want to come by and we'll we'll start working on them." And uh, after a couple months, we were like, we, we should find a bass player. And, yeah. You know, these tunes are sounding cool. We're liking the vibe. And it's actually uh, almost kind of a great story about how. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. It. Why don't well, you tell the story, story about the story of how we met Nick? Is actually you kind tell of the story about how, how right, Nick so came into the picture. We had a gig at the Western Hotel in Calicoon, and uh, it was me and this other guy Julian, who I had played with at the time, and his brother Joe. And Greg was running sound for this gig, so Greg was there. I was there. We're all at this location. Nick happened to be there for totally unrelated reasons. You yeah, were, I was you actually know. there a Halloween to see show. Mountain Wave because right. I knew Tim Gannon and I was going to see his band play, you know, in Calhoun. So. so Nick is there and he's got full, this is Halloween, so he's got full skull paint like face on, you know, like the, he doesn't look like he looks now. Like I, when I met him, I had no idea what he actually looked like. He, he had like, you know, a leather vest in this thing. He might as well have been like about to like rob me in the middle. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was, he was creepy. You know what I mean? But as he, he sees my first set 
and he sees me play and he approaches me and he's tripping on something. I don't even know what at the time. He was clearly <laughs> be a nice Acapulco segue. gold. <laughs> it was some Acapulco gold edible. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. He was definitely, you know, he was definitely in, you know, not his normal frame of mind. And he comes up and very intensely is like, I noticed you guys don't have a bass player. And I thought he was kind of calling me out. I thought he was being like, dude, like, what the hell? You don't have a bassist. So I was like apologetic. I was like, dude, I know we don't have a bassist. I'm sorry. We're, we're looking. And he's like, no, 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 no. I play bass. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, uh, that, I just like, I understood now the context of the conversation we were having. And so I was like, all right, well, give me your information. You know, let's see what's up. And cause you know, whenever someone tells you they play an instrument, you don't know if they're really for real or not. You don't know what the deal is. <laughs> so I was like, whatever, I'll hit him up later and I'll figure it out. And then he like disappeared for a while. Like I didn't see him for the rest of the night, but a couple days later I hit him up and after a few tryouts, it just went perfect. With or without skull makeup on, did you guys meet up and play your first? Uh, <laughs> like I wanted it. Yeah, sadly makeup. without. It's <laughs> still one of the greatest regrets of our lives. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You guys definitely have the vibe that you are our bands, like all good bands, all great bands. You're a gang. You know, usually, especially coming up, there's always the one guy that doesn't fit. There's the guy yeah. that plays bass because he was the one guy that had a bass. You know, he's not, he's, he's not worth, yeah. you know, he's not really into what you're into, but he's there. That's like the high school thing or, you know, this drummer. Think it's a guitar player. Yeah. Like it's, it's unless the, it's a singer, like guitar player, it's usually the guitar player. No, I'm it's telling you, no, it's a fucking saxophone player. It's always a saxophone oh, player. Come on, why are we talking about <laughs> Because, you know what, because they're blowing through that metal tube and their brain gets stretched out and, it's another story. Anyway, it is the Weed Show. We <laughs> yeah, have the disclosure. I love story. Bob Weir <laughs> and I love saxophones. I'm gonna just put it out there. They're saxophones are okay if uh, you know if you're from New York. All right, we're gonna get to the Acapulco Gold, but first the electric chords at the right place. <laughs> I 
with my friends till the sunrise Nothing could get me higher I'm on top of the mountain Has such beautiful dude. pipes. What dude. a what a jam, dude! Those guys are great, dude. What? <laughs> no, great. that's it. That's all I got, dude. They were great. It's <laughs> very, very. Dude. A quick reminder that this is a weed-oriented show for Mike Addison, right. my co-host. I'm having a great time today. <clears throat> I want to thank Dave again for coming by and yes, for thank the, you, Dave, and making the world safe. And uh, just as long as Barryville doesn't end up. Smelling like a fish concert. Everything's you know, going to be groovy. And thank you to the Electric Chords for coming out today. Dude. We love you guys. You guys are wonderful. <laughs> that was awesome. We love you. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll be back next week with some really special guests. Ghost stories next week, right? Ow! Ow. Can't wait. See y'all. Bye.
This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.